Welcome to episode 42 of Justice with John Carpe, the podcast from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. I'm the show's producer, Kevin Steele, and I'm here with your host, John Carpe, who is the president and founder of the Center. This show, we continue to look at resistance to the pandemic lockdowns, not necessarily from a Justice Center perspective. We'll talk about a letter from a doctor giving advice to British Columbia's provincial health officer. And then later, we'll take note of a couple of lawsuits shaping up elsewhere, one in Europe and another in Europe and North America. But first, uh, prior to all that, we'll get an update on the COVID-19 situation in Canada from John. So, John, what's going on in our home and native land? Well, we've got a renewed round of lockdowns in Ontario with gym closures, with uh, Premier Doug Ford telling people to stay home, with the uh, dining inside restaurants uh, being made illegal, so back to takeout only, and just the same kind of repression that we've been seeing for the last uh, six or seven months. Uh, secondarily, uh, in, in Manitoba, I have not looked into the details, but new lockdowns being uh, implemented there as well. I want to focus on Ontario for a moment because I've I've spent a chunk of time looking at the Ontario government's health ministry data online, looking at their new cases and looking at their deaths, and um, at at the risk of overwhelming people with uh, with the numbers, um, we've got this glaring gap between these so-called new cases uh, versus people dying and people being hospitalized. So the curve in Ontario is the same as the curve in Alberta, the same as the curve in, in Italy, in the United Kingdom, in France, in every jurisdiction. You have a, a death curve where you get a large number of deaths. Italy peaked at the end of March. They were one of the first countries hit. Uh, others peaked in April, uh, some jurisdictions in May. But you've got the virus spreads through the population. It's not a threat to 90 or 95% of the people, but it is a threat to let's say 10% of the population that is over 70 and suffering from one or more uh, serious health conditions, right? The average age of death in just about every jurisdiction is over 80. So people in nursing homes that are already weak, they're already sick. Uh, the immune system is weaker with age. Uh, children and, and younger people uh, have stronger immune systems and can fight off viruses. And this is a this is a truth every year. This is why every year the annual flu kills a lot of elderly people whose immune system is compromised. So in Ontario, the curve was the same. Uh, there were a thousand deaths in April, close to a thousand, and a thousand deaths in May. And then in June, that declined down to 550. And in July, it went down further to 99 deaths. In August, it went down even further to 36 deaths. In September, 37 deaths. And then October seems to be climbing upwards again. Uh, October's not over yet, but uh, maybe back up to two or 300 in October. All of these deaths are painful tragedies. They're all sad, and they have to be seen in the context of the other 10,000 monthly deaths in Ontario, which are also tragic and sad. And sometimes I it, I have the impression that the the chief medical officers and the politicians seem to think that that dying of COVID is somehow more tragic than dying of other causes. The fact is that in Ontario every year you have 116,000 people that die, so it's almost 10,000 people per month. 10,000 sad, tragic deaths. So in the context of 10,000 deaths per month, uh, you've got. Uh, April and May, you've got the a, a thousand in each of those. So that means that in April and May for two months, uh, a tenth of the deaths in Ontario were from coronavirus. Probably a lot less considering the common practice in many jurisdictions is that whether you've committed suicide or got hit by a car accident or had a heart attack, if you've got the COVID in your body, you're deemed to have died of COVID. And that's a common practice in uh, in many jurisdictions. Can't say for sure about Ontario, but I'm taking the numbers at face value. Okay. So, but they're, they're probably smaller because they're including a lot of people that did not die of COVID, but they happen to have had COVID in their bodies. Now, the, there's been all this hype about cases. So in Ontario, in September, 
they had 10, the media reported on 10,000 new cases, 10,000. Okay. And uh, in, in October so far, I think we're at uh, another 10,000 new cases. The problem with that word is that, as any experienced doctor will tell you, a case typically refers to uh, somebody who's actually sick. Right. Uh, having trace elements when you're perfectly healthy and you have no symptoms, having some trace element of something or other in your body and you're not sick, usually that's not a case. But the media don't report on this, right? They talk about cases uh, as though these are sick people, and that creates a lot of fear and panic. Let's contrast the uh, case numbers with the death numbers. So in September, uh, you have 10,000 new cases in Ontario, which are now the justification for the the more recent round of, of lockdowns, which are violations of our our human rights, our human dignity, our charter freedoms to move and travel and assemble and associate and worship and so on. 10,000 cases in Ontario, 37 deaths. Again, every one of those 37 deaths is sad and tragic, but no less sad and tragic than the other 10,000 deaths that also happened in September. And I'm speaking statistically, maybe the actual, you know, maybe it's not quite, it's not the same number of people that die Every month, right? So maybe in September there were eight thousand deaths. But what I'm, we'll accept. But on on average, uh, with one hundred and sixteen thousand deaths in Ontario every year, you've got almost ten thousand deaths per month. So in September, uh, you would have had close to ten thousand deaths. Thirty-seven out of ten thousand deaths are from COVID, and this warrants locking down the province, uh, shutting the gyms, uh, denying people access to. Uh, to a healthy lifestyle, uh, making people live in fear. It's just uh, it's, it's unconscionable. fundamental rights, right? we got to stress that. It's Which, not just lifestyle, it's in fundamental rights. When the government tells you that you can't have your friends over to your house, mm-hmm. uh, that is, uh, you know, I probably shouldn't say it, but it, that's on par with repressive, even totalitarian dictatorships will tell you you can't have your friends over uh, you know, or if you're going to have more than five friends, you need to write a list of, of who they are. Right mm-hmm. now, now we have uh, some, depending on which province, you know, you've got uh, churches, mosques, synagogues, restaurants, uh, meetings of various kinds. The government is asking you to list the names and emails and phone numbers of those who attended. Now, it's not in the name of some ideology, you know, we're not for the sake of the worker's paradise or uh, uh, anything, anything like that. But now it's in the name of, you know, protecting grandma mm-hmm. and uh, public health and how dare you be so selfish. So the pretext changes, but the violation of rights does not. And governments never violate your rights uh, without putting forward, you know, we're fighting terrorism or it's uh, national security or... Uh, don't you know we're in a state of war? <laughs> you know, this mm-hmm. is what you said. You know, requires a buy-in, or at least a you know a, a fear factor that makes people buy in. And we're seeing, I uh, guess, some pushback. We've seen you know all kinds of you know street protests and that kind of thing. But now it seems to be moving up to a higher level. You know, we talked about the uh, Barrington, Great Barrington. Uh, Declaration. Declaration, yeah. And uh, now we're seeing other qualified uh, medical professionals challenging it. Now we're going to get to the later the uh, the lawsuit thing. I think you had an example from uh, from BC now, didn't you? Uh, yeah, you, Dr. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Stephen Malthouse. Yeah. And he is um, a physician in BC. He's been a physician for 40 years. He has written an open letter, I believe it was October 3rd, to the um, chief medical officer in British Columbia, Dr. Bonnie Henry. And he raises uh, a lot of the issues that a lot of people have raised, but it's it's nice to see more doctors. He's certainly not the first doctor, but there are more and more doctors pointing out the fact that the actual death stats of corona are not out of line with the death stats of the annual flu. I mean, even in Canada, we're at approximately 10,000 corona deaths. Very sad, very tragic, and no less sad and no less tragic than the other uh, 277,000 Canadians that have died in the past 12 months. We have to put this in context. Every year in Canada, uh, well, the 
number of deaths increases as our population becomes larger and larger each year. We also see more deaths each year. But the the most recent, uh, I believe, was it was two hundred and eighty five thousand or two hundred and eighty nine thousand Canadians died in uh, in in twenty nineteen. So it'll be around the same number <clears throat> in twenty twenty. Uh, probably you know two hundred and eighty, two hundred ninety thousand, three hundred thousand Canadians dying in the year twenty twenty. Each of those deaths is sad and tragic. Ten thousand of those three hundred thousand deaths are from uh, the coronavirus. Again, if if we take the government numbers at face value, uh, real actual numbers are probably lower. And you look at the twenty eighteen uh, flu deaths in Canada, and uh, that that was also close to ten thousand. So the twenty eighteen flu deaths and the twenty twenty corona deaths, there's not a big gap between those numbers. And of course, people jump in at this point and say, well, that's because we had lockdowns. If we hadn't had lockdowns, there would have been so many more people that it would have died. To which I say, show me the evidence. Mm -hmm. Because speculation and conjecture are not evidence. You can speculate that without the lockdowns, uh, a lot more people would have died of, of corona. Uh, you can speculate, you can conjecture, you can surmise. And that's all, that's all well and good. That's part of free speech. But that's not evidence. And we do have like, you know, some tests uh, like Sweden, their test of uh, not going with a lockdown to, to give us some basis for estimating, I suppose, you know, so. It's interesting you mentioned Sweden because the Alberta Health Services uh, put up a chart a few weeks ago, uh, basically boasting and bragging about how the death rate in Alberta of uh, corona deaths are one twelfth the Swedish Death rate on a you know on a per million basis, right? How many mm-hmm. how many deaths per million? And the the fact is that in in both Alberta and Sweden, you had uh, large numbers of people in their eighties, nineties, and seventies who were already very sick. Uh, that and every year you have those those deaths from the annual flu. But what is significant is that the Alberta Health Services says absolutely nothing about the harms of the lockdown, which were less in Sweden because they went into a voluntary compliance and people people that felt vulnerable stayed home and didn't go shopping, that the rest of the population, uh, you know, went, went about their business, schools did not close, uh, people went about their, their businesses, some people chose to work from home, but they didn't have those lockdowns. And so the Alberta Health data, uh, they don't bother for a split second to to make any effort whatsoever to inquire into what is the Swedish uh, unemployment? Did it go up a little bit, a lot? Uh, you know, it may have gone up a little bit because you had less economic activity. Uh, what What's happened to the suicide rate in Sweden? What's happened in relation to drug overdoses? What's happened in relation to family violence, spousal abuse, child abuse? What's happened with anxiety, depression, psychiatric disorders, mental illnesses? What's happened with uh, bad health effects from people not being allowed to go to the gym, which, by the way, I think is very significant. Uh, mm. I know anecdotally, a lot of people say, you know, when the gym is shut, I just don't get the exercise, even though theoretically you could do some push-ups and jumping jacks at home, but it's just not the same. And people stay home, they drink more alcohol. What are the health effects of that? In Sweden, if they did not deny access to the so-called secondary health providers, and I don't, I don't really like the term secondary because I think these people are essential. We're talking about podiatrists and physiotherapists and chiropractors and optometrists and dentists, all of these non-doctor health providers, which in Sweden, the people were not barred from going to see their, you know, kind of non-family doctor health mm-hmm. providers. Whereas in Alberta, uh, it was illegal to the, Dina Hinshaw and Jason Kenney shut down access uh, other than extreme emergency. You could not go see uh, a dentist, podiatrist, physiotherapist, so on and so forth. So the fact that the Alberta Health Services, you know, they, they boast about, oh, well, Alberta had, uh, Alberta's death rate was, uh, was one twelfth. That sounds very dramatic, but when you look at the actual percentages, right? So in Sweden, you have, uh, you know, let's say, point zero 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 four percent of of the population that dies of of coronavirus and in alberta it's point zero 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 and add one more zero and and a three whatever right so 
it's a little bit misleading. It's it's technically true. Okay, again, taking the numbers at face value, it's technically true that Sweden had one twelfth the um, uh, the death rate of Alberta, but in both jurisdictions, you're looking at 0.000 etc. percent of the population, and you're you cannot discount the fact that if uh, an illness that is targeting uh, kind of the same demographic that the annual flu targets each year. That's not something to uh, to overdramatize. You have to you have to take a hard look at the facts. And again, it doesn't diminish the sadness of every death of every person, regardless of whether they were uh, old or young at time of death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, going back to this letter uh, that you had referred to, Doctor Malthouse. Doctor Malthouse. Yeah. yeah the uh, the questionnaire. Like I opened this up. You sent this link to me, and I saw right at the top, Kofafe, which is a reference to Trump's. Uh, tweet of some years ago where he made a spelling error and it became quoted. It's right at the top. So immediately, I mean, I doesn't bother me, of course, but there are a lot of skeptical people in our audience that uh, don't necessarily uh, like the president. Anyway, so I saw this and I thought, well, and the site is called Killing Ontario. Okay, that's pretty drastic. <laughs> and so I thought, uh, well, okay, is this guy a quack? That was my first thought. And I thought maybe I'd throw that at you. What do you think of that? I'm not saying accusing him of being a quack, but I mean, I saw these things that, you know, this is not like on the site of a, uh, you know, something government? like the Toronto <laughs> star. <laughs> I'm glad we can both laugh about that. Okay. Sorry. But it's it's a great it's a great question to ask because in in fact the tactic that has been used by the pro lockdown people in the last six or seven months is to simply assert that anybody who disagrees with them is ignoring science or is a quack or is not qualified or is not an expert mm-hmm. and uh, fortunately uh, that rhetoric must be toned down when you've got the Great Barrington Declaration with uh, the last time I looked 10 days ago, there were over 22,000 physicians that had signed that and over 8,000 public health specialists that had signed that mm-hmm. and you know three over 300,000 concerned citizens. Of course, their, their opinions are probably worth less than, than those of the doctors. Mm-hmm. But St- Stephen Malthouse has been practicing medicine in BC for 40 years. If he was a quack, then the College of Physicians and Surgeons uh, would have, could have, should have shut him down a long time ago. And so there's never been any credible complaints because this is how the process works, right? If, mm. if doctors engage in some form of, of malpractice, if it's negligence or misinformation or, God forbid, if it's deliberate harm, uh, people file complaints. The complaints get investigated. Uh, doctors get prosecuted. Uh, they get there's disciplinary procedures and they can be found guilty and they can be kicked out of the college. So here's a doctor who's been practicing in British Columbia for 40 years and the college has never saw fit to uh, to ask him or force him to leave. And so you know if they suddenly if the college now suddenly wants to assert that that he's uh, some kind of a quack, but and if they did that would be terrible insofar as the history of scientific progress, including in the field of medicine, has always been a back and forth debate. And people put forward theories which at one point are universally accepted, like the earth is flat or uh, the sun revolves around the earth and it's universally accepted. And then you get a debate because somebody comes out there and says, no, that's not true. And then people get very frightened and angry because it's a new idea and we don't like to have our world rocked by New ideas that are completely contrary to what we've, you know, we're taught as children and we've believed this all, all of our lives. So new ideas are always upsetting to, uh, probably to most people, or at least to a lot of people get upset by new ideas. But there's a back and forth. And, and so you have these, you have these debates, uh, on all kinds of, you know, what's the best treatment? Yes or no. Uh, at one time, surgeons didn't wash their hands before performing surgery. And this contributed to the super high death rate of women after giving childbirth because the uh, the doctors and other medical people were not washing their hands prior to <laughs> helping to get the baby out and so the you know the, the women would would get in, infected and die after childbirth just because there was no hand washing well you had progress but you probably had a debate you probably had people who said look we've never washed our hands before this this is ridiculous uh, right you probably had a debate about that 
So debate is good in medicine. And uh, the way to deal with bad ideas is to prove that they're bad and to argue your case and to get people thinking because when everybody thinks alike, nobody thinks very much. So even if Dr. Stephen Malthouse, uh, and I'm aware of uh, there's other Canadian physicians that, that have spoken out publicly, uh, Dr. Ben Turner, uh, also in British Columbia, um, a group of doctors in Ontario, there's, there's physicians that are speaking out publicly against lockdowns and, and challenging the wisdom of uh, what we've been fed the last six or seven months. Um, so even if even if Stephen Maldhouse, so now I'm doing a kind of a plug for free speech, even if Stephen Maldhouse is dead wrong about everything that he says in his letter, uh, I say bring on the debate and let the college or let the other doctors who disagree with him prove him wrong. Okay. But I want to go through I want to go through some of the points. So one okay. he he ma- he makes the point that the death stats uh for COVID are not out of line with the seasonal flu death stats. And I think that's just an obvious fact for anybody who bothers to look at the data. Uh, a real pandemic like the Spanish flu uh, 1918 to 1920 went on for about 2 years and there were at least two if not three waves of it. Uh Spanish flu killed between 20 and 50 million people. Think about that. 20 million people around the world and upwards to 50 million. Some historians say 100 million people dead. Uh, these were primarily, uh, it didn't touch children, but it did impact young, strong, healthy adults in their 20s and 30s and 40s were dropping like flies. So that, that was uh, a real pandemic. And then in 1957, you had the Asian flu, which killed 2 million people. And this is at a time when the world population is less than half of what it is today. So that would be like 4 million COVID deaths today. Okay, we're not anywhere close to that. And then in 1968, we get another nasty uh, pandemic that was known as the Hong Kong flu, 1968-69. That killed a million people. Again, one world population was less than half of what it is today. So those are the real pandemics. Now we've got a so-called pandemic that... It is, uh, pan is, is the Greek word for all. So it is a pandemic in the sense that it's all over the world. Uh, however, in previous understanding, pandemic meant not just that it was all over the world, but also that it was particularly lethal and deadly. Another key point that Dr. Malthouse raises is that about the so-called cases. And I've, I brought this up in the last uh, podcast, and I think earlier in today's podcast, typically a case means somebody who is sick, somebody that needs medical attention, that is hospitalized, somebody who might die. Those are the cases. So it's an abusive language for the media to be talking about, you know, 10,000 new cases in Ontario in September and 10,000 new cases in Quebec. And, uh, and in Europe, it's the same hysteria. I found out this morning that uh, Canadians are not welcome to travel to the European Union based on all these cases in Canada. Whereas, you know, the death numbers, uh, like I said, uh, 10,000 deaths per month in Ontario, and we had 37 COVID deaths in Ontario in the month of September, right? So this is not, uh, this is not the deadly illness that is killing people. Uh, but we have these PCR tests, which is another thing we could spend a lot of time on. I don't think at this podcast, but maybe we could devote a future podcast just to the PCR testing. But it is not reliable in the view of a lot of doctors. And it's testing for something that's in your body, but it's not related to when, to, uh, to actually being sick. So there is no second wave, says Dr. Malthouse. Um, he also mentions that vitamin D is a good way to boost your immune system, to prevent your, uh, to decrease your chance of getting sick from COVID, or if you do get sick, to increase your chance of fighting it off successfully. And he asks Dr. Bonnie Henry, why why is it that you never say anything about vitamin D in any of your public announcements? And I think the same question could be asked of a lot of chief medical officers. And they might say, well, you know, we don't have conclusive scientific, uh, you know, double-blind studies that that prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that, that vitamin D is definitely... Uh, definitely going to be uh, helpful in fighting COVID. But then I would say, well, how many of your things are based mask wearing, social distancing, uh, destroying the economy, thrusting people into unemployment? Uh, What kind of hard science is that based on? 
And the answer is none. It's speculation and conjecture. It's been a it's been a grand experiment, grand in the sense of big. I don't mean in the sense of wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's been a grand experiment since March, because never before in human history have governments locked down um, hundreds of millions of healthy people and destroyed economies uh, as a means to trying to deal with a virus. So it's a big experiment. It was based on speculation and conjecture that you know, well, maybe this or that might help. So I'm going to read directly from uh, one section. So Dr. Moldhouse says, why not simply tell the public that, one, the PCR testing is not reliable and is meaningless for diagnosing COVID-19. Number two, why not simply tell the public that positive PCR test results do not represent sick patients? Number three, why not tell the public that rarely are people now becoming ill from COVID-19? Why not tell the public that provincial hospitals are essentially empty of COVID-19 patients? And I would add they have been for the past six or seven months. Uh, Why not tell the public that public policy decisions, medical decisions should not be based on, quote, cases, quote, in the news? Why not tell the public that the morbidity or mortality of COVID-19 has not exceeded seasonal influenza? Why not tell the public that the median age of death from COVID-19 in Canada is 85 years? Why not tell the public that the pandemic is over and no second wave is coming? And those are the questions put to uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry in, in British Columbia. But the same, um, the same can be uh, asked of every public health official in Canada. So he has this referenced and, and footnoted and uh, congratulations to Stephen Maldhouse for the courage to speak out. And uh, hopefully he does not get in trouble with his college. Uh, but if, if he does, uh, I'm sure that he will secure appropriate legal representation and uh, not capitulate to any kind of bullying or intimidation that they might try out. Ah, oh, you figure that's coming? <laughs> well, they've been yeah, using it elsewhere, see. that's for sure. We've uh, The Justice Center defended a a doctor in one of the Atlantic provinces who was um, got a threatening letter from the College of Physicians and Surgeons of his province over comments made, uh, I don't know if it was Facebook, Twitter, social media, I think it was even a, a letter to the editor or a column in a newspaper, got contacted by the college and uh, we represented him. That's one of the cases that's not on our website. Most of the cases are, but there were some some, uh, some sensitivities. But we will definitely stand up for the free speech rights of doctors uh, as we would for any other citizen. Okay. I noticed in the footnotes of uh, Malthouse's letter, he does mention uh, medical doctors in Belgium, uh, Belgium, sorry, Belgian, Belgian doctors. And uh, that makes me think of the uh, lawsuits that are getting prepared out of Europe. Uh, there was a meeting of uh, Dutch doctors. Actually, I think it was Doctors for Truth. Uh, they are talking about a lawsuit. I'll just play a little clip of that uh, with uh, the doctor uh, saying that there is no pandemic. And uh, yeah, there's pretty blunt talk. Are you going to play that? Are you going to play that now so I can hear it too? Sure. Uh, this is actually a compilation of quotes from Dr. Elke de Klerk, the founder of Doctors for Truth, at a press conference on the 15th of October in Netherlands. She is accompanied at this press conference by medical professionals from around the world who do contribute, but they're not quoted here. I actually don't know who made this compilation, but it's what I was able to find after the original video disappeared. Uh, here we go. Dr. Elke de Klerk. Hello, I'm Elke de Klerk from the Netherlands, and uh, I want to state that we do not have a medical pandemic or epidemic. We also state that COVID-19 should not be on list A uh, for any longer because uh, we now know that it is a normal flu virus and the normal flu virus isn't on list A. So we are also um, starting a lawsuit uh, to the state of the Netherlands to bring this in with a large group of doctors and a really large group of um, nurses also because we have contact with 87,000 nurses that do not want the vaccine that is being prepared for us. I want to state if there is no pandemic, I am wondering why our kids are 
in schools with masks. There's absolute constitutional rights and they cannot be infringed or infringed for any medical reason. There's no reason for panic also in the medical practice. There's no reason for panic. The panic is created by these false positive PCR tests. Uh, 89% until 94% of those PCR tests are false positive. They don't test for the COVID-19 and also uh, the rest is false negative. So we have to look at m clinics. We have to start looking at clinic. Medical doctors have to stop looking at those tests. That's very important. Let's go back to the clinics and to the facts. We have in the Netherlands now the, the regular press uh, publishing uh, the news that the PCR test is not a correct test. So I'm very happy about that. So there is hope. Thank you. Uh, pretty strong words from a very uh, mildly mild-spoken uh, lady. So it's good to see some movement for the protection of our rights and freedoms, which I'll be the first to say, uh, if if there's a real serious threat that, that is reality and not just hype, uh, then, you know, of course, uh, myself and I think most people would say, yes, we will accept the temporary and, and very partial restrictions on our freedoms. Certainly when the lockdowns came down in mid-March, uh, you know, I, I was not out there leading any kind of a charge or a parade to say, oh, this is, you know, a violation of charter rights and freedoms. You won't see any news releases on our website uh, that even questioned the lockdowns uh, until you get into the month of May, where after two months, uh, we released our first paper, and that was in respect of Alberta, and it was no longer demonstrably justified, saying, mm -hmm. okay, fine, you know, we've been two months now, with uh, with violation of our freedom to associate and assemble and move and travel and worship and so on, and there's no need, there's, there's no justification for continuing with these charter restrictions. We said that we said that in the month of May, now June, July, August, September, October. Five months later, we still have all kinds of restrictions uh, in place in Alberta. With uh, uh, we had a for for our registered charity for the Justice Center, we had a um, charitable event on October the fifteenth. We had Rex Murphy as a guest speaker, and the evening was wonderful, except for the fact that uh, Premier Hinshaw and her lovely assistant Jason said that we could have no more than fifty people present, uh, even in a huge room. That was illegal, so we were forced to limit the invitations or li limit the the spots available to. Only 50 people. And we had to knock off five for staff, in fact, because you can only have 50 people to a room. And there were five uh, staff that were present and waiting on tables. So we were actually could only have 45 people present. Uh, whereas last year, 2019, we had 300 people uh, present for the annual George Jonas Freedom Award dinner. So that's just one example. Uh, could give you thousands of examples of how lockdowns are still in place in Alberta, uh, even though Jason Kenney, you know, tweeted on October the 11th that we, we didn't have a lockdown in Alberta, mm -hmm. which is absurd. I mean, we most certainly did, and we still do. Uh, maybe a less severe lockdown than uh, than some places, uh, but we certainly had a lockdown uh, in in Alberta, and it's still with us today. Of greater interest, to me at least, was this video posted on YouTube on October 5th uh, by a German lawyer, Reiner Fulmich, who was part of a committee of German lawyers investigating the origins of the pandemic in his country. And now he and others are planning a lawsuit in Germany and a class action lawsuit in either the U.S. or Canada, going after the organizations and people who they believe have created the fear and panic that have led to the lockdowns. Uh, the whole video was about 49 minutes long. Here's my cut uh, where he describes the situation and poses what he says are the three major questions that need to be asked for a judicial approach to the lawsuit. It's just under three minutes, this cut. Uh, here we go. Hello, I am Reiner Fulmich, and I have been admitted to the bar in Germany and in California for 26 years. This corona crisis, according to all we know today, must be renamed a corona scandal. And those responsible for it must be criminally prosecuted and sued for civil damages. 
on a political level, everything must be done to make sure that no one will ever again be in a position of such power as to be able to defraud humanity or to attempt to manipulate us with their corrupt agendas. And for this reason, I will now explain to you how and where an international network of lawyers will argue this biggest tort case ever, the corona fraud scandal, which has meanwhile unfolded into probably the greatest crime against humanity ever committed. The three major questions to be answered in the context of a judicial approach to the corona scandal are, one, is there a corona pandemic or is there only a PCR test pandemic? Specifically, does a positive PCR test result mean that the person tested is infected with COVID-19, or does it mean absolutely nothing in connection with the COVID-19 infection? Two, do the so-called anti-corona measures, such as the lockdown, mandatory face masks, social distancing, um, and quarantine regulations serve to protect the world's population from corona? Or do these measures serve only to make people panic so that they believe without asking any questions that their lives are in danger so that in the end, the pharmaceutical and tech industries can generate huge profits from the sale of PCR tests, antigen and antibody tests and vaccines, as well as the harvesting of our genetic fingerprints? And three, is it true that the German government was massively lobbied, more so than any other country, by the chief protagonists of this so-called corona pandemic, Mr. Drosden, virologist at Charité Hospital in Berlin, Mr. Wheeler, veterinarian and head of the German equivalent of the CDC, the RKI, and Mr. Tedros, head of the World Health Organization, or WHO, because of Germany is known as a particularly disciplined country and was therefore to become a role model for the rest of the world for its strict and, of course, successful adherence to the corona measures. One more cut. I'm just going to skip to approximately the last minute of the video where Fulmich offers some unsolicited advice to politicians. Here you go. These scandalous corona facts, gathered mostly by the Corona Committee and summarized above, are the very same facts that will soon be proven to be true either in one court of law or in many courts of law all over the world. These are the facts that will pull the masks of the faces of all those responsible for these crimes. To the politicians who believe those corrupt people, these facts are hereby offered as a lifeline that can help you readjust your course of action and start the long overdue public scientific discussion and not go down with those charlatans and criminals. Thank you. Uh, he, again, cited uh, similar things to what Malthus is, is citing, although I noticed that uh, I guess what's different here is that uh, a lot of the times when we talk about the pandemic, we talk about uh, everybody acting out of caution at the beginning, uh, an abundance of caution. Uh, he is actually uh, using quite scathing language now and talking about malice and greed at the beginning and basing it on that. Now, this is a guy who's fought uh, VW and uh, Deutsche Bank. Volkswagen. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, he's been involved in some big lawsuits. I thought it was interesting. Uh, the video, actually, as we were just getting, John and I were getting into our discussions about it, got deleted off of YouTube. Uh, luckily, I had it preserved. And uh, I don't know why. I'll pro hopefully, there'll be that, something to link to again for this. Uh, John, what did you think of that? The uh, The fact that somebody actually is going for compensation in this area. I think lawsuits are a fantastic idea, provided that they are well-founded. Mm -hmm. uh, if a poorly conceived, poorly designed, poorly structured lawsuit moves ahead, uh, there's a risk there that it can get struck down uh, or, or dismissed and then uh, creates a precedent. And then if somebody else later on tries to bring forward uh, a much better lawsuit based on better evidence, better arguments, and so on, uh, there's there's a risk there. A court might say, "Well, this is this has already been decided. We have already had a precedent." Although that's not absolute, because you can then appeal uh, the dismissal of, of your case and uh, and say that it's different. 
But this this lawyer, first of all, shame on YouTube. Uh, I find it absolutely disgraceful and outrageous and scary, frightening that somebody coming out with a bunch of points. And let, let's assume for argument's sake that, that these points are all wrong, okay? He makes points that the PCR tests are uh, are meaningless and that they do not diagnose COVID infections. He makes the point that people, uh, he says, these measures serve only to make people panic so that they believe without asking any questions that their lives are in danger. And then he goes on to say, so that in the end, the pharmaceutical and tech industries can generate huge profits from the sale of PCR tests, antigen and antibody tests and vaccines. So he is definitely saying that there's something very sinister going on. And I would say, even if that's not true, even if this is all, you know, well-intentioned, why can't somebody make that argument that there is something sinister going on to shut that down and say, well, no, uh, you're not allowed to say that uh, because we're taking away your platform. I find that very sinister. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm, I'm saying that separate and apart from, um, I, I I don't know if something sinister is going on. It's certainly a possibility, but I would defend anybody's right to make the argument that something sinister is going on. Yeah. So YouTube just took this right off, and I'm thankful to you, Kevin, for having uh, preserved this, if not in audio format. I've got a, a lengthy printout here um, going on and on. And he raises a lot of the same points as, as Stephen Malthouse that the uh, the death stats show that this is not uh, not much different from seasonal influenza and certainly not anywhere close to a real pandemic like 1918, 1957, 1968. And that the, uh, the PCR testing, uh, the, the number of cases is just hysteria to keep people in a state of fear. And he makes all these points. Yeah, that's the yeah. I, th- I found it very compelling the way he laid it out, and uh, in particular the point about who changing the definition of pandemic from I think two thousand and eight, or at least he said twelve years ago when after the swine flu, uh, this was something that I had to uh, you know. I guess was a little bit of a surprise to me because one of the things we've often talked about is comparing it to other pandemics. Why does this seem so strange? Well, it's because actually there was an official change. So there's lots of great uh, points like that. Can you talk a little bit more about that? You, I believe you mentioned to me it was uh, around 2009 with the swine flu. It was 2008, the, I think, somewhere in there anyways. Okay. Yeah, it was with the swine flu. They, uh, they had changed the definition of pandemic to mean uh, instead of a deadly disease that kills a lot of people and goes around the world, it simply was a disease that went around the world. So they could declare a pandemic with, you know, they could with the flu, with the cold, anything like that could be declared a pandemic because they actually changed the definition. Uh, Fumich also went on to point out that there was a problem with the vaccine as well. Uh, It caused uh, narcolepsy in something like 700 kids in Europe, and uh, there was some permanent damage. The vaccine had to be withdrawn and destroyed at public expense. So, uh, yeah, he he was bringing this up in the context of you know, the way they're moving now, we got a pandemic. The main thrust of what he was saying was that Germany was lobbied very hard to institute the lockdown and the rest of the world sort of copied Germans because they are considered highly reputable. Disciplined. Disciplined. Yes, that's the word he used. He says Germans are highly disciplined and I think that's that's fair, fair comment. So let's all imitate the the disciplined Germans and let's all keep our our death rates down. Yeah. And he cited a conference that happened in 2019 where, you know, the head of who was there, Bill Gates Foundation was there, Welcome uh, Pharmaceuticals was there, as well as uh, the fellow who developed the current PCR test for uh, the COVID they were all there at this meeting, and then lo and behold, they become the people that uh, are leading the lockdowns some six months later or so. So yeah, it's, he kind of lays it out in a in a very obvious way, I, I guess probably in a, a very lawyerly way. I don't know. You could probably gauge that better than I can, but <laughs> very convincing to me anyway. And so uh, I don't know where this is going to go. The reason I wanted to cite it is because way back at the beginning when we started talking about this many programs ago, I had 
bemoaned the fact that, you know, when we were talking about these infringement on rights, these people losing their livelihoods, there was nothing they could do about it. And now I'm not saying that this is going to create a way to do something to do about it, but we also on this program have talked about how lawsuits really affect the people involved in this. So I think it's a worthy of note. And, and the fact that, uh, you know, it got wiped out in front of our eyes, the video that is, as uh, they like to say online. That How many was it? Was it 1.5 million views was that before 1. being wiped 5 out? 1.5 million views. And I noticed a lot of comments under it as well. I didn't get to copy all the comments, but I did manage to save a few and I sent you one. Uh, there were comments from doctors that were giving support to this this guy as well. So, I mean, it's... And then YouTube, YouTube had some sort of a cursory statement. It, it's in violation of our... Terms of use, terms or some of service, yeah, and I guess Facebook had, Facebook had had bombed it before that. Somebody had made note of that in the comments as well. So, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, that's that's a, that's very creepy. You know, if the if the authorities want to shut down the conspiracy theories, they could start by not censoring. Uh, now, you know, you could argue YouTube's not a an authority, but it, it is. I mean, it's mm. it's not a it, definitely not a government. I, I'm assuming it's a private or it, it is a private entity of some kind, uh, but it's certainly an authority. And if the if the public health officials and the politicians want to kill conspiracy theories and make sure that nobody's adhering to any conspiracy theories, the the best way to do that would be to not delete things off of the internet. <laughs> uh, when when you get a challenge to uh, to the current narrative, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it it almost makes you want to believe in a conspiracy theory if if YouTube will take take down uh, you know, pretty pretty well opinions that somebody's offering opinions that yeah. you know the cases are are hyped and that this is not a uh, this is not the the deadly killer that it's been made out to be. Mm -hmm. Which I think is is confirmed by the government's own data, which is a point he it, makes as well. And you know, I mean, that's the that's what I found very appealing about the whole video. The guy laid it out so well, and uh, in such logical order, saying pretty much the same things that you have been saying, that Doctor uh, Malthaus has been saying, uh, that we've been hearing from the Great Barrington Declaration. Everything just sort of laid out there. And uh, why why censor it if it's if it's wrong? Explain explain what it, explain why it's wrong. Explain how it's wrong. Well, that's it. Let's let's have the debate. But when people shut down, George Jonas said this once. Mm. He, he he said, uh, if you ever see two people having a heated, vociferous argument about an issue, and if you're not sure who might be right or wrong because they're both you know they both seem to be raising really strong points, mm. um, if one person tries to silence the other and prevent him from speaking. The person trying to do the silencing—that's the wrong person. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, it's very, it's very easy to pick out because if you've got if you've got the truth, then you don't need to uh, shut down other viewpoints. Yeah, yeah. It just uh, one of the things that all three of these entities that we're reciting right now, starting with Doctor Mouthhouse and also the the group that was having the press conference in Netherlands, which was Doctors for Truth, and. Uh, the lawyer Fulmich, uh, they all things they had in common when well, they were focusing on this test, the PCR test. And I think the line that at least two of them used was, "We don't have a COVID pandemic; we have a PCR pandemic." <laughs> that I think of all the lines in in all of this was what struck me the most because, of course, you know we've got these tests every day. We're facing stories about all these number of cases, and you know that seems to be really the at the heart of it around the world. And uh, you know the fact that they're challenging this now, I thought was uh, remarkable. Anyway, uh, whether or not they'll be able to survive the uh, social media onslaught of <laughs> deletions, it's <laughs> difficult to say. Whether this podcast will survive. <laughs> Well, these, that's another aspect of these PCR tests mm. is that the media reports typically do not mention the fact that governments are now testing twice as many people, five times as many people, 10 times as many people as ever before. So if you're testing, you know, a hundred thousand people, then you're, you're going to find uh, trace remnants of this or that. I think in a subsequent episode, we can potentially look more into these PCR tests and, and what they consist of and mm -hmm. what might be wrong with them. But I would say even if the PCR test was accurate in detecting a tiny trace of COVID in your body, okay, even if they were accurate and useful and there were no false positives, even there, 
the fact that you've got you know 10,000 of these so-called cases in Ontario and 37 deaths that already tells you even if the PCR tests are accurate in identifying uh, covid in a body it is irrelevant if you are healthy and asymptomatic you know why are we testing healthy asymptomatic people in the first place uh, dr malthouse mentions in his letter he says typically the lineup uh, the lineup for testing you got some young adult with uh, with a, an iPhone in one hand and a Starbucks coffee in the other, and they're standing in line to get tested. Mm-hmm. What's the point? What's the use? We already know from the data that uh, unless you are over 70 and have uh, pre-existing health conditions and illnesses, or if you're under 70 and you're immune compromised, but uh, unless you're part of this 10% of the population that's at risk, COVID poses no threat to you whatsoever. So why bother with with testing and people say, well, we, we've got to reduce the spread uh, in order to protect grandma. And I want to, maybe I've said it before, but it's, if you want to protect grandma, then go ahead and do that and protect her. Stay six feet away from her. Uh, choose to not see her in person. Maybe communicate only by Zoom, Skype, and telephone. If you go see her in person, see her outside. If you see her inside, stay six feet away from her. Uh, wear gloves and mask if you think that will help. So if you want to protect grandma, do it. Go ahead and do it. Don't force the other 90% of the population who are not threatened by this into unemployment and poverty and despair and suicide. Don't wreak massive destruction on everybody when that's not necessary, when what you should do is is not just talk about protecting grandma, but go ahead and actually do it. Protect grandma and make sure that if you're talking to somebody vulnerable, you're with somebody vulnerable, then respect that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was recently in in the month of August. I I was in uh, I, I was in Europe, and uh, one of my relatives, I was visiting this this one couple that are they're in their mid seventies, and you know they said, well, we'd love to see you, but you know, please stay six feet away, and we're going to meet outdoors. And I'm happy to respect that, and I I did, and so we we met, we had a great visit, uh, we shared a meal together, we were outside, uh, we did a little elbow bump and no handshake, no hug. Uh, and you know, great. So protect those who are vulnerable by all means, but that should not be a pretext for hurting people the way that these lockdowns are, are harming people every day. Yeah, true enough. I wanted to mention that, uh, you know, the, the contradiction that the authorities seem to have is they want to claim that the lockdowns are actually saving lives, yet the number of cases have gone up. Number of deaths, they say, oh, it saved deaths. But if they, they actually were saving lives, the number of cases would come down as well. You got anything else that you want to say about this uh, uh, this this lawsuit one? I mean, I thought that was pretty fascinating. I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by that whole approach. Of course, it's not the justice center approach, but uh, it is, I think, potentially a game changer because we have seen reactions, you know, when lawsuits get threatened, people back down or they get worried, you know. And what we saw just recently was the WHO doing the huge reversal uh, and saying lockdowns don't work. Uh, we mentioned that last week, you know, I mean, it was- it Don't it, use them as your primary strategy. Yeah. What the- that was I, uh, nice to see an about face. I mean, I, I think it's uh, it's, be- it's better to change your mind than to uh, persist forever in, in a terrible uh, position because the, the, the World Health Organization, the WHO was big advocate for lockdowns for, for months on end. And it's, it's only now just in the month of October, they've suddenly said should not be used as the primary tool. Coincidentally, when the lawsuits get threatened, just a coincidence. That's all I'm saying. The the lawsuits are not guaranteed to be successful, but there's one, one positive aspect to a lawsuit is that the government is forced in court to answer questions and to produce evidence. And I think that's been lacking. You don't get enough of that just through the ordinary democratic process. You typically get stonewalling Mm. and you, you know, you fire off a letter to, uh, to an elected representative, you might get a form letter back. Uh, you have politicians and chief medical officers that are not answering questions. Yep. Um, I I wrote to the uh, the chief medical officers in the uh, in the ten provinces and three territories earlier this month. I don't know if it was late September, early October, uh, asking them for the surgeries that were cancelled. What kinds of surgeries were they? How did it break down? So, for example, Alberta cancer canceled twenty two thousand surgeries uh, because of lockdowns, 
And, you know, how many of those were heart surgeries? How many were hips? How many were knees? How many were cancer, uh, cancer related surgeries? So on and so forth. You know, no answers coming back. In contrast, in a lawsuit, the government has to answer those questions and they have to produce the evidence in support of their policies. So that is a positive tool for a lawsuit. Yeah, that's true. Um, I guess. It's not really a big reveal here, but at the end of the, near the end of the program here, I just want to mention the title of that particular video because it was, I would say, fairly dramatic. If you checked last week's show notes, you would have seen it. Uh, you can probably still see it there, but you can't go anywhere when you click the link. It was called Crimes Against Humanity. And that is the approach that they are taking, that this was a giant crime against humanity. And Considering the scope of what you had seen uh, when you did that article about the third world, it it's starting to look like fairly major uh, – if it is ever gets classified as a crime, it would be a fairly major one, you know, with what, 300 million people thrown out of work and people in poverty uh, living on the edge. So, I mean, yeah, that that's shifting from, like I say, well-intended – uh, precaution now uh, to a uh, motive of malice. So it's not something the Justice Center will be arguing sure. because I think it's even though it's possibly true. I think I think what we need to demonstrate is that these violations of our charter rights and freedoms are simply not justified. They're not warranted because COVID, uh, as demonstrated by the government's own data, COVID is not an unusually deadly killer. It's not something that everybody needs to be afraid of. And if you want to protect grandma, we should go ahead and do that and actually protect her, uh, protect the vulnerable in the individual uh, circumstances by having, for example, very stringent uh, rules surrounding nursing homes that, you know, there's all kinds of things you can do to protect the vulnerable in those locations. But um, in a way, you know, okay, it might be true. Maybe this is all malicious intent and it's the, the big pharma and big business and big that, big this and big that that's all behind this to try to enslave mankind. Even if that's true, it's not really something that needs to be put forward in a court action. The court action needs to focus on the fact that our charter rights and freedoms are being violated and that these violations are not justified by the evidence. They're not justified by science. They're not justified by facts. And that's as far as we need to go. We don't need to go further, at least in any uh, court action the Justice Center is involved with, we don't need to go further and then also allege that this was for the benefit of, uh, you know, the Bill Gates or, well, or no, uh, large, uh, large companies. What what he's doing, I mean, I don't uh, – the substance of it, I don't know. I mean, I enjoy going down rabbit holes like a former journalist that I am. But, uh, you know, what I find interesting is the shift in tone and the fact that you know they this thing had a million five views and of course you know somebody doing what i had uh, bemoaned back at the beginning which was you know so they they're going to try to get some money for these people that got hurt i mean it's all you know yes we all lost our rights but some people lost their livelihoods and things like this so i mean that well and and their lives yeah. we've touched on that as well right? right aaron ogden in saskatchewan and jerry dunham in uh, mm. in uh, ontario Someone else who lost their life, uh, there's looking at, uh, this was just a few hours ago uh, on CNBC, mm. AstraZeneca shares turn negative after Brazilian health authority says volunteer in COVID vaccine study dies. I fear it will be the first of many, and I hope that I am wrong. I hope that nobody dies of vaccines, but um, uh, we'll see what, what that leads up to and, and how that develops. Certainly, the arguments in favor of vaccines uh, will be exactly the same ones now being used in favor of masks. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, don't be so selfish. Uh, it's just a mask. And uh, you need to do this for the common good. You need to do this to protect grandma. We don't care if you're young and strong and healthy. And we don't care if you're not afraid. You have to do it for the sake of society, the public good, the public interest. Do it for grandma. Those are the arguments now being used for masks. Mm -hmm. Don't be selfish. Uh, get with the program. It's all about the public interest, the public good. And the same arguments will be trotted out for its, for vaccine. It's just a vaccine. Mm -hmm. So nothing to get upset about. 
uh, it's just a vaccine. It's for the common good. It's for the public good. Uh, don't you love your mother? Right. Don't you love your grandmother? So take the vaccine. Be a good citizen. Identical. And sign arguments. this waiver. <laughs> and sign this waiver. <laughs> you know. Well, anyways, that that will be uh, that will be an interesting day. Let me tell you. Okay. Well, it's great, John. I'm glad we got we went far afield here. Of course, from the. Uh, Justice Center's mandate, of course, but uh, it's good to sort of keep up with uh, the pushback uh, on all fronts as far as uh, I'm concerned, and I hope you feel the same way. I thank you very much for being with us for episode 42 of Justice with John Carpe. Hope to speak to you next week. Talk to you next week, Kevin. Bye for now. Bye.